I am Sam J. Jones, Flash Gordon. Okay. Oh, okay. excuse me. That's okay. It's been a long day. <laughs> the dome always does that to me. Okay. It's good to be seen. It really is. And you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you can be so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess and test that you will give you witchcraft. You think me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Bye bye Saturday night. Sombrarian, how are you? Are you there? Barely, but yeah. Okay. Any weird stories about work you want to bring to us tonight? There's a rug in the teen room now. Finally? Yeah. Cool. Now we just have to wait two more months to get shelves. Because those aren't as important. <laughs> Not in a library, evidently. Not in a library. You don't want shelves. And then you'd have to put books on them. It would, be, it would just be wrong. Mm-hmm. Are you a teen librarian? You feel like an idiot. <laughs> uh, I am a teen librarian. Yes, cool. you are. Oh, one of my best friends is a teen, well, she's currently on hiatus, but she uh, is a teen librarian, and she was one of the judges for the Prince Award a few years ago. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Heck of a lot of reading. Yeah. Speaking of... I've heard um, that teen librarians don't really like reading, though, so it's all right. Yeah, we really hate it. Um, Speaking of, I've got to duck off right after we're done, because I have... A review due tomorrow. Did you forget? No, actually. I did not think that tomorrow was the 10th. Mm, there. <laughs> Oops. I thought that Wednesday was the 10th. As I told Mark <laughs> earlier, shit happens. Yeah, it sure does. You know, tonight we're going to talk about uh, what's become one of my favorite uh, magazines because most magazines now are, are not fun and... and this one I can hold in my hand. We're talking again about uh, Dreamforge magazine. With us tonight is uh, the uh, the gentleman behind Dreamforge, Scott Knoll. Scott, welcome back to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Thank you, Dom. It's a great pleasure to be here, and we really appreciate the support and you guys helping spread the word about uh, Dreamforge. It's been great. Speaking of which... If you're at GraniteCon this weekend, I have tons of Dreamforge swag to hand out to you, and some lucky people are going to get a Dreamforge coffee cup. So just saying. There's nothing better. I don't know why, but there's just nothing better. Anyhow, I I need to ask a couple questions. We're, We're now at issue number three, which is the September 2019 issue. And there's a subtitle here called Tales of Kindred Souls. Was that always there? 
Uh, each issue has its own little bit of theme that, that goes with our overall mission of, um, you know, talking about hope and, and humane values. So issue one was actually uh, Tales of Hope in the Universe. Uh, right. Issue two was Tales of Indomitable Spirit. And this is Tales of Kindred Souls. Um, mainly what you'll see as, as you read through is that the stories have more than one main character that those characters are, are essentially related as, as a team in some way or uh, empathetically in some way, that, uh, that there's something going on there that, that takes the story beyond just having you know, a single heroic focus. How, how do you come up with the subgenres for each issue? What, 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 where does it come from? Do you, it actually do you... comes from... Go ahead, I'm sorry. From, I'm sorry, dude. It actually comes from the writers. Um, what happens as as we're we're you know going through and we're making selections is uh, amazingly we found some of these themes just kind of jumping out at us from the reading period. It, it's like we'll we'll see one story and then we'll see another story along a similar theme, um, and they're both great. And we think, well, we, we'd like to have these. Is that is this you know too much to have two stories that are kind of similar? And and then we think, no, it'd be a good theme. So. So it, it comes a little bit more interactively than us sitting down and saying we're going to have an issue about a particular theme. So you're not actually asking for submissions about blah, 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 blah. That's correct. Um, you're taking what comes in and going, this fits into this category, and this fits. That's very cool. It's kind of a, a serendipitous themology. Yes, it um, is. And I really, really, really like... Uh, the, the the graphics the graphics seem to just get better and better with each issue not that the first one was bad it wasn't at all but oh my gosh it's just more I, it's important to me and I hope it is to the readers who are, who are doing this as well that there's not just there, there there's an overall feel to what's going on. This isn't just a magazine. This is this is the magazine version of a graphic novel, perhaps, if that makes sense. And I'm not sure that it does. But to me, a lot of the graphics that I've seen, uh, and and they just keep getting better and better with each book, uh, are, are just so cool and so much fun. Well, we really appreciate that, and, and it is one of our goals. My my wife, Jane. Um, and I was just going to mention Jane because Jane, Jane is the main illustrator for a lot of the magazines. Well, she's she's a layout artist, so so she's doing a lot of the graphic design, and, and the way each story kind of has its own little look and feel throughout the magazine, that's Jane's responsibility. But we, we have gone out and tried to make contact with some really good illustrators. For instance, um, in uh, issue three that you're talking about, we have a story called A Question of Truth by Jane Linskold, and we're going to be talking to her a bit later. But that illustration is done by Elizabeth Leggett, who's actually a Hugo Award-winning uh, illustrator. And um, we have another story, just as an example, Esclatos the Red, uh, by a young man named Isaac Payne. And that's a, a fantastic fantasy illustration of a knight in red armor uh, facing off against a much larger foe. You can just see the dynamic qualities in it. And and that's done by uh, John Blumen, who is uh, an experienced Pittsburgh area illustrator who actually does do novel covers. So, um, and here's a, here's a name I'll screw up. Uh, there's a story called A Sip of 
Pomba. And I, I'm not sure if that's even correctly pronounced. I wouldn't but, try. <laughs> <laughs> It's an but E with some sort of accent is, mark on it, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not going. I'm not. I'm not feeling good about that at all. <laughs> but uh, Frank Scherner did the illustration on that, and wow, is that one marvelous! Excellent. I'll be glad to let Frank know that we've worked with Frank for probably uh, over 30 years. Not all in this magazine, obviously, but we used to work in computer games, and uh, Frank was one of the illustrators and and lead artists in in the computer games we made, and it was really a great lot of fun to, to basically reconnect up with him and uh, bring him in to work on Dreamforge. So now you're, you're, you're now kind of ankle deep into issue number four. That's correct. What's different now than when the Kickstarter ended and you went, oh, oh my God, we got funded, now we've got to actually do this? <laughs> We've started to we've started to learn our craft, and I'm I'm nowhere near uh, saying we we really know what we're doing because if, if you recall, we're not experienced publishers. Uh, we we just jumped into this because we kind of felt a calling to do it. But but what's different is the the word has started to spread. Um, we've gotten some good reviews. Um, I believe Tangent Online, which is um, one of the industry's you know short story uh, uh, review. Uh, Outlets they they review all the the SF and fantasy magazines. They've given us some um, good reviews on a lot of the stories. Um, we've got more engagement on social media. I think our our Facebook um, presence is up to like 2,400 followers, and on Twitter we're closing in on a thousand. We have an Instagram presence now. So so we're actually when we go to some conventions and we went uh, to three this year. We went to uh, ReaderCon and and Confluence in July. ReaderCon's out near Boston and Confluence in Pittsburgh. And uh, in August we went to BubonicCon 51 out in Albuquerque. Um, people are actually starting to know who we are, and uh, we've we've had that experience of people coming up and saying, "Oh, you're you're the Dreamforge people," and I just read your editorial, or I you know love that. That um, that uh, story that was in the last issue. So 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 what's changed is basically the idea that it's it's gone from a concept, uh, kind of a hopeful concept. We hope we can do this, to we're kind of becoming practiced at our craft now, and and um, you know we've we've laid down the the routine work to get these things done. This is Talkcast number four hundred and twenty-three. I'm just starting to get comfortable with this, you know. <laughs> but I mean. Um, I brought uh, a box of informational stuff with me uh, to the last con that we went to, which was Plastic City Comic Con, which is a, a one-day event in uh, Fitchburg, Massachusetts, which is essentially the middle of nowhere in a hockey rink. And it was jam-packed all day and a lot of fun. And um, as they would come past the table, they'd go, Oh, I listen to your podcast, and my response is usually, no, thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. But no, you, you don't. Nobody actually listens. I get that. <laughs> it's not a big deal. And then they would see the, the Dreamforge stuff on the table and go, what's that about? So I, I, I had the chance throughout the course of the day to talk to people about how much fun I think this project is and, and how much I'm enjoying it. And if they're readers, and if they listen to our podcast, they should be readers, because we 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 like for people to read, and we encourage it. That they will certainly get a lot of pleasure uh, out of this. So, in some small way, 
I hope we've been helpful as well. Uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, we we appreciate everyone who's um, stepping up to you know help us spread the word on that because. Um, you know, as you know, we're, you know, not in this, you know, for the profit. We're, you know, not making money on it. It's it's really a passion project. Uh, we're putting everything we have into the issues. Um, we're doing everything we can to pay our illustrators and our, our writers, you know, well. And um, that's that's what it's about for us. It's, it's basically encouraging a piece of art uh, which speaks to hope in the future, hope for how humanity interacts with itself and, and and that sort of thing, and and we try not to be preachy, but that's really kind of the the blood that courses through all of these stories. If if you you know were to read through even the first three issues so far, um, you'd you'd get the feel. You'd kind of you, you sort of start to get the sense of what is a Dreamforge story. And a Dreamforge story is not a story of the apocalypse, um, in which we're trying to survive, you know, in a desert on the last few bits of water and you know, uh, kill the people over there because you know they they would kill us otherwise so but you know but up until the point where you said and kill the people over there because they want to kill us over here it actually was a dreamforge story <laughs> think about that for a minute because as as we were talking about it i i read again uh jane linskold's uh story in in uh this uh issue number three uh and i reread it again this afternoon just so that it would be Fresh in what's left of my head, <laughs> and at this point, can Jean, uh, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Hi, thank you very much for letting me weigh in. Oh, well, hey, I, I got to tell you. Now I'm going to start off with over in left field, then we'll get back to centrist stuff. But Scott was just saying, you know, it's the end of the world, and and everybody's scrabbling to survive, and blah blah blah, and all this and all that. And up until he got to the point where he said, and they're trying to kill us because they, they think we have more than they do and we're trying to kill them. I was thinking, um, that's kind of like, like what a question of truth is up until the we're trying to kill them and they're trying to kill us stuff. It's like there, there's an end to the world. There's a whole new world out here. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Gene, uh, Jane's work, as, as I am, as I was and no longer am, um, a Question of Truth is the first short story in a universe called the Firekeeper universe, which I believe you already have six novels in. That's right. I have um, actually seven. Uh, the, the seventh one, Wolf Search, came out in the middle of July. Um, the first six were published by Tor, and the seventh is published by a Smaller Press. Um, the Firekeeper saga is an what is often called imaginary world or fantasy. It's a made-up universe of mine. Um, it is not shaped around, however, a lot of epic fantasy holds the idea that we have clashing armies, etc. This is more, um, I'm more focused on a frontier mentality. People, <laughs> as you keep saying, struggling to survive in an unusual series of circumstances. Yeah. And my, yeah. And my main character, Firekeeper, in the first book, Through Wolf's Eyes, is introduced as a 15-year-old who has been raised by wolves and, quite frankly, thinks she's a wolf. And the stories 
move with her and her wolf companion, brother, boyfriend. It kind of varies as the series progresses. Um, as they learn more and more about human culture uh, and, and move forward to there. And the novels are quite massive, so <laughs> there's an awful lot of story there. Well, what bothered me slash I loved at the same time was the density of this, uh, this short story, A Question of Truth, because you, you had to do three things. You had to tell a story, you had to introduce the characters and give us an understanding of them, and you also had to introduce and give us at least a rudimentary understanding of this universe, and God, I loved it. Thank you very much. It was it was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I love these people in this world. I took about a 10-year hiatus from a and it's been a lot of fun to come back to them. Why did you take that hiatus, by the way? Um, a combination of things. I had done a lot of novels in the series, and I had a great ed relationship with my editor, Teresa Nielsen Hayden at Tor. Um, but oh. I'm not one of the, I'm, there are writers out there who are happy doing the same world, the same universe all the time. I'm not and never will be. Even when I was working on the Firekeeper book, I would be doing something else in between. So my contracts would often be for one Firekeeper book, one to be named later. And after six Firekeeper books, Tor was interested in seeing me do something else. I was interested in trying something else. So uh, a hiatus happened. And during that hiatus, Teresa retired from editing full time. So uh, my relationship with Tor changed after that. Not necessarily for the worse, just different. Yeah, it's, 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 an, in <clears throat> Excuse me. it's an interesting relationship. When, when a writer and an editor become linked together over, over, over time, they, they almost become mind-reading best friends. <clears throat> Teresa was a very good editor for me, um, and uh, I was very sorry when she, when she retired. So that's why the hiatus. I, I didn't stop writing by any means. I did the, I did the three-book Breaking the Wall series. I did... Uh, some co collaborations with David Weber, who I've been friends with forever, um, since before either of us were, were very much published. Um, I kind of lose track, but eventually the time came. My fans were always after me to do more Firekeeper, and the time came that I had the right story in my head, and so I decided to go back and and tell it. A question of truth is a short story that organically grew out of writing the novels I've been working on. There was a very important element that uh, I won't go into that I had to flesh out, but I knew, quite frankly, if I put the fleshing out of it in the novel, my readers would shoot me because at the point that uh, it would occur, uh, something else is going on. So I decided to write it up as a short story. And I've been working with Scott on Dreamforge since before it was a, anything more than a 
twinkle in his fanatical little eye. And, uh, and, um, so I thought I should, should give him first shot at it out of a, a courtesy for all of the, uh, patience he has shown me. That's one hell of a courtesy that to be honest with you, but you've answered a question that I wanted to ask anyway, uh, which is, uh, how much of this story, because you've spent a lot of time with, with the fire in the firekeeper universe with these characters. Uh, and at what point did you stop writing it and they started writing it? Actually, I'm all, I'm one of those horribly schizophrenic writers who feels like I just spend a lot of time um, taking transcription from imaginary people and then uh, writing it down, trying to find the best words to get it going. So uh, it was their idea from the the, the get go. That's that that to me is is one of the more amazing facts that 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 writers can do uh something that over the years I've tried repeatedly and failed miserably at <laughs> well, <laughs> so, you know, the the cool thing about writing in general is that um there are there's no really right or wrong way to do it there's just finding what works for you and in my case I really prefer to start with a strong impulse and find out where my characters take me with it. Whereas when I work with David Weber, he wants to uh, bounce up and down like the world's largest Tigger toy and, uh, and say, oh, we could do this. Oh, we could do this. Oh, we could do this. And I'm sort of like, hey, 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 leave something open. I'll get bored otherwise. <laughs> and yet we're both have written way too many books, each in our oh, own way. I, can't, I couldn't disagree with that more i'm sorry but you have not in my opinion anyway written near enough yet so thank you the next the next question is um over the years talking to different writers it's uh um you know i have to sit at this desk i have to use this I literally had a writer tell me, and you may recognize him by the way I I describe it, I have to use this typewriter. I won't use a goddamn computer. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, you know, and I can only do it in the morning, and I can only do it with coffee, or I can only do it at night. Uh, So what's it like for you, Jane? Honestly, um, I deliberately made my box having no boxes because at the time that I started writing, I also had a full-time job as a college professor. And if I wasn't as flexible as possible about, uh, about fitting in my writing when I could, it wasn't going to happen. So my preference would probably be to write everything in longhand with a gigantic carafe of coffee and a box of dark chocolate. But I have also written short stories in faculty meetings. I'm terribly proud of that. <laughs> there's there's a lot of free time in faculty meetings. Especially I know when you're especially when you're junior faculty and everyone wants you to be there and no one wants you to say anything. <laughs> um, but uh, but I mean I can write on a computer. I can write in a crowded space. I can write in privacy, and I really like it that way. And I 
I try to stay flexible. So I guess you could say my my box is a very deliberate no box, a but it's a deliberate choice. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. So, well, it's it's good. You know, everybody has their own little way of making it work. Um, what's it like living out in the desert? Do you, which I'm told <laughs> you live in now. I um, it's well. It's brown, and it's hot. Um, we are really, really low on rain right now. We should we're, we did not get our monsoons this summer the way we should. So right now, it's very brown and very dry. And the state fair is going on right now, and you get into conversations with perfect strangers about how much rain there's been or not been. And I was talking to one of my my friends today and we both garden and we were both discussing the fact that I was very jealous that she had had two hundredths of an inch of rain uh, last week <laughs> because we only got one hundredth of an inch of rain. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it, I grew up in Washington, DC with uh, 80 to 90% humidity and anytime it clouded up, it rained. So it's a very different world to be living in. But you you seem to prefer it at this point. I moved out here in 1994 and don't envision myself leaving unless something should crop up that I can't live at a mile high altitude anymore. Well, we know about your past uh, somewhat. We know about your present somewhat. We know about your latest short story in this month's issue of uh, Dreamforge. What else is new for you? What's coming up on the horizon? I'm working on a novel that's going to be an immediate sequel to the novel that came out this July. The one that came out in July is called Wolf's Search. And this one is called Wolf's Soul. And it picks up pretty much um, within about two days of the previous. Um, When that's done, I've got a project I'm sort of fanatically attached to that I was working on and took a break from to write the Firekeeper books. And I'd like to get back to that. Um, David Weber and I are supposed to do some more Stephanie Harrington um, Star Kingdom books, Uh, but I haven't seen contracts for those yet, so I can't say where this will be slotted in. And I've got some short story stuff I want to do. And in my spare time, I run a very enthusiastic role-playing game that I, uh, I I pour some of my less linear thoughts into. So, what is it with prolific writers and RPGs? I don't understand how how those two connect. Yet I hear it all the time. How does how does one work with the other? How did you get involved in that? Well, with me, I've been a tabletop role-playing gamer since my freshman year in college, which was about the time the first hardcover uh, AD&D books came out. And I've pretty much been a, a steady gamer since. Actually, one of the ways that I met the writing community out here in New Mexico was through role-playing games, because I moved out here to uh, live with Roger Zelazny, and uh, 
after we were settled in, I said to him, you know, the only thing I miss from my past life is gaming. He said, well, George Martin has a gaming group. Let me see if he uh, knows somebody who's looking for a player. And so I ended up joining a group with George R. R. Martin and Melinda Snodgrass and Walter John Williams and uh, a couple of people who don't write. Uh, Patty Nagel, who does write. Um, let's see, that was after John Miller and Vic Milan had retired from it, but it was an interesting way to sort of get to know the local writing community, not through writing, but through um, a shared hobby activity. Um, I don't know what, it, what draws other people to it, but for me, uh, I really like the collaborative storytelling aspect of it. And uh, probably won't give it up anytime soon. So I would like someone else to take a take a turn running fairly soon, I think. I've been running the same game for seven and a half years now. and uh, I think you're due for a break. Yeah, yeah. But, but on the other hand, I've got some really interesting things. It's sort of like writing. I'm not quite ready to put the pen down yet. <laughs> I hear you. And I met Scott um, indirectly through games, except it was computer games. Uh, he was, what was your position, Scott, on that game? At that time, I was a project manager, so I was basically organizing, you know, the whole thing. Yeah, and so Scott was the project manager for a game that uh, the company he worked with had contacted Roger Zelazny to uh, provide some story ideas for. And when Roger got the uh, proposal, he said to his agent, tell them that... uh, I know absolutely nothing about games, but Jane does. And so if you put us both on board, um, I'll, I'll take the job. And so uh, that's how I met Scott. And when Roger died, Scott kept me uh, hooked up to the project. And uh, somehow we got to be friends. Uh, and uh, the way that works. <laughs> uh, it was pretty cool, actually. Um, and so we actually exchanged wonder of wonder, horror of horrors, uh, snail mail letters. And then uh, one day in one of his, I think it was an email, Scott, right? You, you said, I've got this idea. No, you wrote a letter. You wrote a letter and you said, I've got this idea. I want to start this non-dystopian science fiction magazine. And I promptly turned on my computer and sent back a, are you crazy? <laughs> Do you that, know what you're getting yourself into? He was you're like, bucking oh, but it'd be so- trend. What's the matter with you? <laughs> he'd be, he was like, oh, but it'd be so cool and this and this and this. And when I realized I couldn't talk him out of it, I thought, okay, well, sign me up. <laughs> because I'm not going to let you do this without, and without uh, doing what I can to help it happen. So I guess you could say the, the Scott's vision of hope uh, and his passion for his his project uh, won over even uh, cranky, cynical. I've been in this business too long, me. And for those who look in the masthead of the magazine, you'll see that Jane Linskold is credited as our senior advisor and creative consultant. And under that title, her job is to tell me when I'm about to do something really stupid, which she's not afraid to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as long as you've got somebody who can do that, that's always a good thing. So, yeah, well, we don't, you know, Scott doesn't run everything by me. Um, he, it is, he is definitely the person with his hands on the reins 
uh, with Jane sitting in the chariot up behind, uh, his Jane. That's one of our ongoing problems. We have too many Janes on this project. <laughs> so, Jane Okay, Noel. Scott. There we go. Final question. Yes. Issue four. What's, what's the subgenre we're looking at for issue four? I don't know because that serendipity hasn't quite happened yet, and it changes a little bit because I thought I had issue four kind of ideas lined up, and this would be one of the points where Jane was listening to me talk about it one day, and she said, I think you have too many fathers and sons who, who one of them is dying. <laughs> and oh, like, Lord. That can't be a theme, and it's like, oh, yeah, that might be bad. <laughs> yeah. so, that might not, not be a positive aspect we're working towards. But they're wonderful stories. They, you know, they, they, they just need to be spread out, I think, over, over a few issues. Uh, one thing I do want to make people aware of that's a really cool thing is that um, Dreamforge has reached a deal with Space and Time magazine, which has been around for like 52-some 50 years now. Uh, it's a genre magazine of fantasy and uh, science fiction, and they do a little bit of horror. And it just came under new ownership in January, a uh, wonderful person, Angeli Rico Smith, and we were talking on ways that we could support one another. So if you subscribe to Dreamforge, um, you get a free digital uh, access to Space and Time subscription. And if you like Space and Time as your primary and you subscribe to Space and Time, you get a free digital access to Dreamforge. So uh, we hope that makes both of our uh, subscriptions um, more valuable. And uh, as, as you know from talking to us before, we don't uh, trade um, any of our uh, subscribers' information. So uh, to get that deal, you actually have to opt in and, and realize that, you know, you're kind of signing up uh, and, and letting someone else have your info. But uh, And you opt in through this wonderful portal that you have on your website for yeah. all the people who are subscribers. Uh, it's kind of a, a, second, a second source of stuff and there's a lot of stuff there yes uh we have we're going to be doing more of of having additional articles and interviews with authors and one of the things you could find there now for instance is a conversation between jane linskold and i uh where we uh we're talking about uh zombies and why she hates them and i don't <laughs> they're squishy <laughs> Well, you know, as usual, Scott, uh, when I have you on the show, uh, it's a joy for any number of reasons, uh, not the least of which is holding uh, issue number three in my hand and going, God, I love the way this looks, and I love reading it. I literally ripped through the whole thing in in two days, then went back and reread two stories, then went back and read... Jane Linskold's a third time uh, this afternoon. Jane Linskold yeah. is the 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 Jiminy Cricket to Scott Knoll <laughs> from time to time. I like that. And, Can I have a top hat? I think you should. No, that's 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 the frog from the WB. Ah. <laughs> you you could also do that one too, but okay. but Jane is a wonderful. Writer and and she's written the first short story in her Firekeeper universe. Um, thank you guys for joining us tonight. And thank you very us. much for having us. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, 
Keen Comic Con, Plastic City Comic Con, BooksandBooze.com, and ComicArtHouse.com. Be sure to visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. If you're looking for a really, really good gift book for the rapidly approaching St. Swithin's Day, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is now available on Audible. I'm not really sure where else you could possibly look for it. Our intro production is provided by Rob Watts. His amazing stuff can be found on robwattsonline.com. Check out the Watts sauce. Trust me on this one. Our outro music is provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Their grooves are at lawrencemademecry.com. A big hello to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the cast who helped make this possible tonight. From the Peabody Time Tunnel, Kriana and Zombrarian. Thank you both very, very much for all you do. This is Dome saying Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. We'll talk soon, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. I keep getting these spam emails for weed control, but they're never what I expect them to be. Good night, everyone, unless it's daytime. That sounds good. That sounds perfect.